Hello and welcome to another episode of the Vavil EFL UK League One and Two podcast with myself and James Crossan. James, we've got a great show in store tonight, haven't we? We certainly have, Cal. Today we'll be looking ahead to the League Two playoff final. We're delighted to welcome back Charles from the It's All Cobblers to Me podcast and Stuart James, who is a digital sports editor for the Devon Live. And don't forget, you can find all of our previous podcasts on Spotify, Apple, Google Pods and Acast. So, after two dramatic semi-final clashes, we now know that Exeter City will play Northampton Town for a place in League One on Monday. Stuart. We'll talk about Exeter in a moment, but we're going to go to Northampton first. The Cobblers found themselves 2-0 down after the first leg against Cheltenham Town, but came roaring back in the away leg and booked their Wembley place with a stunning 3-0 victory away from home. Charles, firstly, did you see that coming after the first leg? Never in doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously not, no, definitely. Uh, I was uh, pretty much... I was literally just going to watch it and just sit back and relax and feel like I was just going to watch a game of football. A bit like I do with like the Premier League games that are on at the moment. You just sit down and you just watch it for the for the love of football. And I thought that's what I would do. I was hopeful that we might win the game, um, the second leg, but not in as emphatically as we did. And I, I wasn't expecting to actually go through and win the overall tie. And... You mentioned in the uh, first episode we had about your your front two, Vidane Oliver and Callum Morton. I'll start with Vidane Oliver because a a really impressive show from someone, like you said before, that has has not really been the most prolific of strikers in his past, but but he really, really put his critics to bed uh, in that that leg. How did you feel that he played? Oh, he was was unplayable, wasn't he, in that first half? Absolutely unplayable. I mean, fair enough, he, he should have had two goals. He missed what... I say this as somebody that can't play football for Toffee, but he missed that chance, you know, um, when really he should have buried it uh, towards the end of the first half. uh, Another crossover. And um, I think he just jumped a little bit too early and came onto the ball and made contact with it earlier than he he should have done. Um, But as I say, you know, he he probably did better with it than I would have done. Uh, So it's, it's one of those. But I mean, I don't think he lost the header the whole game. Um, the whole time he was on the pitch, he bossed the Cheltenham defence. They didn't know where to turn because they either had him winning every single header, every aerial challenge, it was Vidane's. Um, and if it wasn't Vidane, then it was Callum Morton just running around like a headless chicken and, and chasing them down and not giving them a moment's peace. I mean, it was... It was a little bit like, and I I know that people will laugh at this when they're listening, but it was a bit like watching Liverpool play in in the terms of how Liverpool press and how they don't let the opposition have any time to, uh, you know, to to install themselves into the game. We just basically turned around and said, no, we're having this and we're not letting you in. And we did that pretty much for 94 minutes of the 97 minutes that we played. We just didn't give Cheltenham a sniff. And I mean, you, you touched on Callum Morton there. Um, I, I seem to recall in the the final closing stages, a, a, a massive challenge right on the edge of your own box from him. I mean, he was all over the pitch. Um 
how, how important will he, he be coming into the final? I mean, he's, he's helped you so far in terms of he's come in and he's done an impressive job. And I mean, that the, the two goals are invaluable, but how, how important will he be going into the final? Well, I don't know. Have you seen the heat map, his heat map from that second leg against Cheltenham? Mm. I haven't, but watching the game, I can imagine that it was... It, it was... If, you, if, if you look at that heat map, it's a goat. <laughs> uh, honestly he's absolutely brilliant and uh yeah he will be um he'll be the he'll be the player that x to fear i would imagine and i would if it if it was me as um the exeter manager then first of all matt taylor i'd be scared but second of all, I'd be doing all I can to actually make sure my players know how to nullify him and to basically that's what I'd be basing my training sessions around would be stop Callum Morton from, you know, getting in the game in that way. Either, I don't know, kick him early. He's still young. Maybe he's fallible to that. I mean, I'm not trying to obviously give away any secrets. I don't know. And I actually highly doubt that if if somebody went in on you know, on him hard, early doors, that that would maybe even phase him. But this is League Two. That's what League Two football is all about. It's about being hard and imposing yourself on a game. And I, I would imagine that Matt Taylor will be literally wanting to just take him out of the game and put him off his stride, so to speak, straight away from the off. Stuart, we'll get on to how you think Exeter will be able to stop Northampton in the final. But first things first, what a crazy game that was against Colchester and a great, I must say, great game to watch for the neutral and we saw Northampton with a stunning comeback uh, against against Cheltenham. Exeter did the same, didn't they? they? They even had to come back within the game as well because they looked gone going towards the end of the game when Colchester really looked like the side that was going to turn the screw and win it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a shame the final is only seven days later because my nails haven't had a chance to grow back yet but um <laughs> You know, that's what football does. Exeter have got an incredible record, actually, in the playoffs. They've never won. I think they've been involved in five playoff campaigns now and never won the first leg. But they've won all five second legs that they've played and never lost the final tie overall. So, uh, you know, they've got a fantastic record in semi-finals. Now the challenge, of course, is to go on and, and, and win at Wembley, having had the disappointments of 2017 and 2018 when they lost in the final. But... Um, yeah, it was a cracking game, really good game. Uh, the key thing for Exeter was to get off to a good start. They needed to get that early goal because Colchester are defensively pretty sound. They managed to get the goal inside the first 10 minutes and that just seemed to settle everybody down. And, you know, it really set the tie up, I think, for the neutral. So, um, you know, hearing that you guys watched it and enjoyed it, I'm, I'm very glad to hear that. And, and it was, like I mentioned, it was, it was quite a strange game because for the first hour, Exeter were... By far the strongest team. They they really took the game to Colchester. Uh, Colchester looked pretty pretty poor to be fair. And then all of a sudden it's like someone switched to switch. It was Colchester who who had the upper hand, and they looked like the most likely team to win. Exeter somehow got themselves to extra time, and then just seemed to find a second win. How did they manage to turn it around? You know what it is? It's those bloody drink breaks. <laughs> the drink break, it just seems to knock the rhythm out of the team. You know, they, it happened in the first leg as well. Uh, the second half up at Colchester, I thought Exeter started the second half really, really well. Then we had a drink break. We just seemed to lose our rhythm, lose our momentum. And, you know, I, I think there's, you know, all joking aside, I think there might be something in that. It just does seem to knock the team out of their stride a little bit. But, um, 
Yeah, I mean, the, the, the sort of second half or the last 10, 15 minutes of the second leg, it was certainly nail-biting stuff. And Colchester had a fantastic chance to win it when they went one-on-one with uh, Johnny Maxid in, in the 90th minute. But Maxid stood tall and did a fantastic save, match-winning save, really. And, of course, had he not done that and the ball had gone in, then Ryan Bowman would never have had his moment of glory. So, uh, you know, that's what playoff games are like. They're, they just ebb and flow. It's, you know, one minute you're up, one minute you're down. And it's the same for Charlie, you know, watching the, the Northampton game. I've been there myself watching Exeter where we've been two goals down. I remember playing Torquay years ago, 3-1 down on aggregate with 20 minutes to go. And then we scored four in the last 20 minutes to to win through and, and reach Wembley. So playoff football is never over until that final whistle goes, that's for sure. I was just going to ask Charles, do you think for Cheltenham, do you think complacency crept in? Because they looked a pretty strong side in the first leg and then in the second leg, it was all Northampton. Yeah, a couple of points with that, I think. So first of all, I wonder whether the first leg, we weren't really ready for a game of football, almost. We looked very, very lethargic, I thought, in that first leg. Um, Cheltenham had played a friendly against Cardiff, um, which I think was actually two 60-minute games rather than one 90-minute all-out sort of normal friendly tie. Um, And we didn't have any friendlies whatsoever. Uh, Choosing instead, Curl said, to just concentrate on ourselves and our own game. I I, I don't know, but I, I wonder whether part of that, you know, the fact that we were maybe a bit rusty after whatever it was, three months, of not playing football um, against anybody else. Um, But the other thing that's been basically said by a couple of the players, and I I can't remember whether it was Vidane Oliver or Jordan Turnbull said this, um, but they basically said that when they turned up to the Johnny Rock Stadium on, on Monday evening, all the Cheltenham players were just kind of, in their eyes, waltzing around the place, looking quite arrogant, treating it all as if they basically they were already through, they were already at Wembley, they didn't have to do anything. And essentially all the Cobblers players just went, look at them, they think they've already won this, let's show them that they haven't. We want it more and that's how we'll win the game. And, and essentially, I mean, really looking at those two things, I mean, don't get me wrong, I've not seen the Cobblers play that well in League Two this season. We played pretty well in the FA Cup against Burton Albion, um, but in League Two, I, I've not seen them play like that all season. So it was a bit of a turn up. But I do just wonder whether, A, there was a little bit more of match fitness in them after having played one game. And second of all, I, I think it was just a simple case of they looked at Cheltenham and went, they almost don't look like they're ready for another game of football. They They think they're already on the Wembley turf and they're not. So, so moving forward to next week's game, uh, Charles, I'll start with you. I witnessed two uh, legs. The first against a three-man defence where Northampton looked vulnerable and they looked like they, they couldn't get a foothold in the game. But the second against a three-man defence that they completely terrorised. And I mean, I, I know it's easy to say with, with Cheltenham, um, there may have been a bit of complacency, but that's a Cheltenham defence that has conceded no more than one goal this season in any given game. Uh, you put three past them. Uh, so, so how do you see the, the, the final panning out? Do you think it could be the same sort of performance carried on or do you think it will be a bit of a different game? I think, I, To be honest, boys, I think I'm going to have to treat this in exactly the same way as I did when I came on for the semi-final pod, which is just basically to go sheer arrogant <laughs> and just say, 
We're going to win 7 0. It's going to be the easiest game in the world ever, and uh, Exeter don't stand a chance. Um, it worked last time, so hopefully it'll work this time. But no, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. This game coming up is like, I, I've actually not really thought about it, if I'm being honest. So we're recording now on Thursday. And okay, so Monday evening is a bit of a blur. Um, Tuesday. <laughs> was also a bit of a blur because my head wasn't feeling particularly awake for most of it. Um, yesterday, Wednesday, I was a bit more like, wow, what, what on earth did we achieve on Monday night? That is ridiculous. And so I, I'm still kind of looking back on that performance and that game and sort of being like, that that was amazing. But therefore, we, we can't let it, we can't let that be the story of the season. We have to push on now and we have to make sure that 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 comeback and that turnaround isn't all in vain and that we don't turn up to Wembley on Monday and actually just sort of fall apart again or or do anything like what, you know, our players said that the Cheltenham team did, which was think that they'd already done it, think that they were already there and, and they were better than their opponents that they were facing on the day. I mean, we've got, like uh, Stuart said, Exeter have got a lot of experience in the playoffs. Um maybe a bit more recently than we do, but we've been in the playoff final four times in the last, what is it, 20 years, something like that. So 97, 98, bear in mind 98 was actually the, what is now League One playoffs. Um, And then 2013 was the last time that we were there where we got humiliated in the final um, by Bradford. Even though it's been seven years, there's still an awful lot of hurt about that match. And about that day at Wembley. So there will be a lot being drilled into our squad that we don't let that ever happen again. Even though none of those players were actually involved back seven years ago, there will be, you can guarantee people at the club, whether it's Keith Curl or whether it's members of staff, like from the media team um, or any fans that are sending messages in, you can guarantee that one of the things that's going to be being drilled in is don't get created do not let what happened in 2013 happen again and it's 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 interesting charles that you that you mentioned to keep curl and 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 players and staff banging into the players about not getting humiliated i know he said that he'd he'd shown the 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 players videos of previous great northampton wins like away at liverpool for example in the in i think it was in the carling cup um it, it seemed that he managed to galvanise the squad, didn't he? And that must be a massive feather in his cap. Oh, oh, definitely. Um, I mean, we kind of... So, after the first leg, we put a tweet out, and so did the club, in fairness, and the club did this a little bit later after we did as a podcast. Um, so, back in 1998, um, we were in the playoffs, and in the semi-finals, we lost 3-1 away at Bristol Rovers, and then won the home leg, the second leg, 3-0 at home at Sixfield. Similar sort of situation to what we faced this season with Cheltenham. And that was one of the things, that one of the videos that Curl showed the squad. Um, I think also he showed Arsenal's victory over Liverpool back in 1989, where they had to overcome or had to win by two clear goals to, to win win the title and we put that we put that tweet out and a few cobblers fans replied saying that's a great to the memory of that brilliant squad back from 1998 but actually that squad had a brilliant turnaround in the uh, in you know in the second leg of the semi-finals and went to Wembley and lost 
quite miserably against Grimsby 1-0. So we were kind of looking at it and going, well, actually, the fact that we've managed, we have done this before. We have overturned a a really bad um, first leg result and then made it to Wembley. But then we've actually gone and just not been as good as we are. I mean, one of the things with Keith Curl is we think that he probably turned around and went, boys, you've got nothing to lose. Just go out and play. Just get the ball to Nicky Adams. Let him cross the ball in. I mean, he didn't exactly let them off the reins because we were still playing our brand of football. We were still playing the way that he wants to, which is direct, win the second balls and earn the right to play football higher up the pitch. So sort of in the in the Cheltenham third. Um, that is that is what Keith Curl's sides have always done. They've always played in that manner. And so we managed to do it, but we, we managed to actually impose ourselves on that game against Cheltenham. Whereas there's a little bit of a worry, I think, for Wembley that will maybe be a little bit more um, rigid, I suppose. And, you know, because we had to score three goals against Cheltenham to win the game. We only need to score technically one and not concede in the final. Same goes for Exeter. So do you go all out to try and get the win like we had to do in the semi-final second leg? Or do we treat it as more of a, you know, look, one goal will do it. And that's all we need to do is only only score once and not concede and we get we get promoted. It turns into a, a you know a mind game, I suppose, almost for Keith Curl with himself. Which way do I decide to go? And it worries me whichever way he decides to go. To be honest, if we, if we go gung ho in the first five minutes, and you know we're leaving opportunities for Exeter to break on us and things like that, because Exeter are a great side. I would definitely say that they're a better side than Cheltenham, and. And that's no disrespect to Cheltenham. I, I just think that Exeter are a better side. They're, in terms of league position, they're a better side than than we are. Um, and we've played them this season and have, although we have beaten them once and I think lost once, I think it was both home wins, if that makes sense. Um, we, <laughs> I, I, I think we're better matched than Cheltenham and Northampton are. But I think extra a better footballing side. So there's there's a worry there for me um, with that. If we do go gung ho, I'll be worried, and if we sit back, I'll be worried as well. And um, and, and and Stuart, we've just touched upon Keith Curl showing the Northampton players past victories, great comebacks. Obviously, Exeter's record, recent record at Wembley, isn't great. I know I mentioned it last week, so I apologise again. It's not great. There's the two defeats in three years. Do you think he's going to mention it? And do, do you also think that it it might play into the player's psyche a little bit? Does it put them under more pressure? Or is it going to be a bit of a motivator that, you know, this time we're going to get over the line? I think it's one of those things that you can only look back on in hindsight, really. I mean, you know, if, if you're a player, there's a lot of players that have played in both of those games. So I'm sure, you know, they'll be thinking, I do not want this to happen again. It will probably added motivation for them to try and make sure that it doesn't happen for a third time. But as you say, at the same time, it comes with the pressure as well, because they'll be thinking, oh God, you know, I don't want to go to Wembley and lose a third time. So until we know what the full-time result is, I don't think you can really talk about what the sort of mental aspect is in that regard, really. We just have to wait and see. But, you know, as as Charlie said, it's going to be so tight. It's so hard to call. 
I mean, you know, we, we all talked about the um, semi last week. And you, you could literally throw a, you, you could literally toss a coin for any team really and just all play rock, scissors, paper and, and, you know, try and decide a winner that way because the four teams that went into the semi finals were so even, evenly matched that any one of the four could have won it. And I think the fact that both Colchester and Cheltenham won the first legs and now Exeter and Northampton won the second legs is kind of testament to that, really, because, you know, they, they were so evenly matched. And I, I just, I mean, I, I hope that previous experience of playing at Wembley can work in Exeter's favour. Um, I do think the big pitch will suit them because, as Charlie said, I do think Exeter try and play a little bit more football than Northampton do. But having said that, you look at the likes of Callum Morton, Nicky Adams, you know, there's some real quality in that Northampton team. And Verdane Oliver up front is um, is someone that Exeter tried to sign actually a few years ago. So, you know, he's a striker that they know well. What is also different this time from our point of view is that it's there are different players, of course, that weren't involved two years ago. And it's a different manager as well. You know, Paul Tisdale was in charge two years ago. There was an awful lot of um, speculation about his future two years ago because he was on the verge of leaving for MK Dons. Matt Taylor's the coach now. It's, you know, he's a totally different type of manager, has a different approach. And as he said in his post-match uh, press conference last week, we'll just have to wait and see. You know, whether that previous experience at Wembley helps or hinders us, who knows? We'll just have to wait and see. I mean, Charles just touched on the playing styles there, um, saying that Northampton will be going a little more gung-ho um, and Exeter probably on paper play the better football. How, how do you feel about that? How... In terms of we we watched the, the Colchester game and um, I mean it, it looked a fairly similar kind of a game where where Colchester were very much on the counter attack for a lot of it and, and Exeter had a lot of the possession. Uh, do you feel like that's a, a setup that suits Exeter? Yeah, I think so. They they certainly like to get the ball down and play. I mean, you look at the midfield players that they've got and the likes of uh, Jake Taylor, Nicky Law, Archie Collins. They're all technically good uh, central midfield players that like to pass the ball. Nigel Atkinson is the fourth central midfield player and he's a little bit more physical and robust and you know he's, he's a, a sort of ball winning midfielder so to speak really but um you know at Wembley it is such a big pitch and you've got to use that space wisely um I think the 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 interesting thing would be how excellent to deal with Northampton centre forwards because the game at the six fields we just didn't deal with them at all and Northampton sort of beat us up a little bit up the six fields but as Charlie touched on earlier in the in the show Exeter were winners at St James's Park, so um, you know both teams have have got their their certain styles of football, their ways of playing. It's just going to be who can play their game the best on the day. I suppose it's as simple as that, really. So th- this is a question for both of you. Start with you first, Stuart, and then I'll go on to you, Charles. How do you feel that no fans being in the stadium? Obviously, Wembley's a like you say a massive pitch, and it's an even bigger stadium. How do you feel that'll affect the players? Again, it's hard to tell. It's, it's bound to bound to have an impact, you know. I mean, the, the semi-finals, the manager and the players all said, "Oh, it's really weird, you know, really strange to play in an empty stadium." And when you're playing in a stadium as vast as Wembley, it's going to be even stranger again, I should think. I just think it's a massive shame, both for Exeter and for Northampton. I know we've been there. Exeter have been there three times in four years now, and you almost become a little bit blase about it really because you know you think oh yeah we're at Wembley again but it's only the fifth time in their entire history you know and these things shouldn't be taken for granted it's a it's a magnificent achievement just to reach Wembley and it's just such a real shame that the fans aren't going to be there to see it but um I think it'll have an impact but at the same time I think once the players get focused and you know after the first minute or two 
their minds will be completely on the game and they'll probably switch all that sort of stuff off, to be honest. And how about you, Charles? Do you agree? Yeah, I, I, I do agree. I think that's exactly the same for, for both teams, to be honest. Um, I, I don't know what Exeter are doing, but I know that they did a, uh, a face in the crowd thing as well uh, for their home leg. Uh, of the semi-final, we did the same, and now we're taking them to to Wembley as well. Plus, um, they actually opened up to to be able to for people to buy more of those to to go down to Wembley as well. Plus, we've also got um, fans are taking or giving the club f- flags to take down. Wembley have given permission for the flags to be um, installed, if that's the right word, um, on the seats at Wembley. I, I think with both sets of semi-final game we've all had to I, I don't know whether Stuart was lucky enough to actually go and, and watch the game um, but live but I mean I had to watch all, all of them on the TV and unlike the Premier League games there's no you know fake crowd noise um, over it and and to be honest with you I, I didn't really notice it too much I think the fake crowd noise kind of comes across a bit more obvious when you're watching like a Premier League match and and whoever's pressing the buttons for that presses the button to go about five seconds later than than it should be um and you've already seen it but um I I don't think the players actually will take any notice in it once the the whistle goes sometimes I do think that actually having the fans there can be a bit of a hindrance in these big occasions we always say, um, as Cobblers fans, that as soon as there's a big game, uh, we're talking about home games more than anything else. But as soon as there's a big game, I don't know, like a like a derby match against Peterborough or something where it's a sellout, that th- we never perform on the pitch or, you know, very rarely actually come away with the goods and give that sellout crowd something to cheer for. The last time we went to Wembley, um, I can't remember how many fans that we took. Bradford definitely took more than us, but it was a big crowd bigger than what we'd normally get at a home game. And again, we didn't live up to the expectation. The time before that, we took 42,000 fans to Wembley in 1998 and we lost 1-0. Um, you know, the only time that we've really managed to, to to take a really big crowd somewhere and win. Well, we've done it twice, I suppose. Wembley in 97, we took 37,000 and the Liverpool game back in 2010. Um, yeah, 2010, um, we took obviously about five or 6,000 people and, and filled the Anfield road end and then came away with a win on penalties. But sometimes I do think that the crowds can be a bit of a hindrance. And, and I mean, the nerves move down from the stands onto the pitch, whereas that won't be, a, won't be a problem for either side this time around. And it, and it hasn't been, you know, in, in the two games that both clubs have played previously. And I think actually the fact that they've had now two games to get used to it, you know, you're just going into a bigger stadium. That, that's all it is. And they'll still be happy to be playing at Wembley, I think. Yeah, I've spoken to players before about that. And they've said playing at Wembley is completely different because, you know, when you're playing at a small ground like St. James's Park or Sixfields, you hear every single shout from the crowd. But when you're playing at Wembley and there's like, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 people there, they say that it's just like this din, you know, you can't hear the shouts and it's hard to hear your teammates and things like that. So it certainly does have an impact if there's a big crowd there, that's for sure. And it's, it's quite interesting that, um, Charles, that you mentioned about the crowd at Wembley because one thing that I was thinking watching the game, watching the second leg against Cheltenham was Cheltenham really, really need the home support here because they look gone. 
And it, it looked like to me that they just needed something to rev them up a little bit, some, some, some give them a little bit of encouragement. And so it's, it's interesting that you say that maybe Northampton might benefit from not playing with the crowd. It's quite an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, I think one of the things that we were saying before the second leg was that actually we, we I, I would have said the opposite. We need the crowds to be able to go there. And we would have taken, had we been allowed to, to take fans and, and go and watch the football, you, you, we, you could guarantee that we'd have sold out any allocation that Cheltenham would have given us. That would have been, you know, no question. So it would have been a big crowd. And, and there was a worry from from us on our podcast about how, whether whether not having us there to basically suck the ball into the back of the net kind of thing would mean that, well, it's, you know, there's no hope here because there's not even going to be that for the, for the players to fight for. Um, whereas now going to Wembley... I kind of look at it in a different way, in that way that, that Stuart's talked about. You know, they won't be able to hear the shouts anyway, like they do at a normal League Two match. So having them not there, I don't think will make a blind bit of difference. And, and plus, when you look at our highlights, especially, and the, the highlights that the Northampton Town Football Club have put out on their Twitter, so we have a goal cam. I'm, I'm guessing most clubs do this, where they basically put a camera behind the goal so you can see the goals from you know, behind the goal each time. And they, they load it up. To be honest, the roar that the players and all the staff that were there at the ground made, you might as well have had 500 Cobblers fans there. It was huge. <laughs> when that, Especially when that third goal went in. I mean, it was great to be able to hear Michael Harriman laughing at all the other Cheltenham players for having thrown it away. But, um, you know, <laughs> there was still a big enough cheer to know that there were people that, that cared about the outcome of that match just as much as the players did. And I asked you both last time. I'm going to ask you again. Stuart, I'll start with you. By Tuesday morning, are Exeter going to be a League One club again? Oh, God, I, I really hope so. Uh, you know, it's, we've had two near misses in the last three years, so hopefully it'll be third time lucky for the boys. But it's going to be so tough. You know, I said for the semi-final, I could see it going all the way to extra time and even penalties and, you know, that kind of... That's how it panned out in the end. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if it happens with Northampton because, again, I just think the teams at the top end of League Two are so evenly matched. It depends on who plays best on the day. And, uh, Charles, I suppose the question to ask you is how many goals are Northampton going to win by? Sure is. And the answer is seven. Um, <laughs> look, I, 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 I am joking, or at least I, I was, and I kind of went, went, I thought, right, I'm not having this. When uh, Was it Mark that was the Cheltenham fan? Or the Cheltenham yeah. representation um, on the last pod. Um, you know, I, I just thought, well, look, you know, we're, we're the team technically, or before coming into all of this, if the if the season had just carried on as normal and we hadn't had the awful year that we've all had in the world, then I don't think the Cobblers would have actually made the playoffs. Port Vale were on the rise um, and we weren't having the best of times form-wise. So... We're kind of taking this as a massive free hit. Keith Curl said before the season on our podcast that he needs to get a promotion on his CV. And that's what he's going for. And now he's got that chance once more to actually go ahead and get it. And to basically prove all the doubters wrong. I think he's turned around in the media today. Um, he was on... Um, uh, I think it was Talk Sport um, and another national program earlier on today where he basically said, I'm not just a 
you know, come in and rescue the team from relegation. I, I, I need to prove that I'm more than a firefighter and that I can earn promotion and that I can get that on my CV. So he will be going all out for it. And I know that that's the kind of mentality that he'll be sticking onto his players. You, you've already mentioned, guys, how together the team and the squad seem as a unit. And that, and that is exactly right. And it's not just the squad, it's the whole club. It's all the staff in the offices, in the club shop, all the guys and girls that have been furloughed that work in like the restaurants or as stewards or, you know, whatever else, the catering team. It's, you know, every single one to a man and a woman are together in this. And that is just making us the strongest possible side that anyone, Exeter or whoever it would have been, that's what they're up against. It's not just... 11 players on the pitch that they're coming up against. It's, you know, it's a team of however many staff plus fans there are that that are associated with Northampton Town Football Club. And at the end of the day, that's just going to be far too much for Exeter and we're going to absolutely smash them. Um, sadly that is all we've got time for tonight but we are far from finished with the playoffs next week we'll be looking ahead to the league one semi-finals so make sure you tune into that all i've got left to say is thank you again to Stuart and charles for returning and we wish you both the best of luck at wembley and as ever we thank you for listening at home see you next week <laughs>